Hello? That was a cool thing about the 80s, you know, like all those movies like, were like that. Every one of my games, I try to do something brand new. Best time to get someone, man, when they're well fed and, and had a couple of wines. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Retro Project Podcast. My name is Steve and I'm your host. Today's episode is the first part of our chat with Mr. Jerry Conway. Jerry is an absolute legend in the field of comic books. Jerry has created or helped create characters such as Firestorm, Punisher. He's had an incredible run on The Amazing Spider-Man. He had an amazing run on The Justice League of America. He has written some of the most legendary stories out there. When they build the Mount Rushmore of comic books, Jerry's face will be on it. Jerry will be with us in just one moment, but until then, I would just like to let you know where you can find us. You can find us on the Twitter, at Retro Project Pod. You can find us on Facebook, at Retro Project Pod. And you can also send us an email to theretroprojectpod at gmail.com. You can also find all of our older episodes on iTunes and Spotify, including interviews with comic legends J.M.D. Mateus, uh, Atari programmers, Hal Scott Warshaw and Warren Robinette, the incredible Stan Bush, one of the greatest musicians that the 80s produced, and many, many more. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really does help the show. As of today, we will also be part of the Fantastic Universes family, which means you can find all of our new episodes over at the Fantastic Universes website, which is www.fantasticuniverses.com. You can also find them on Twitter at Fan Universes, and you can also find them on Facebook at Fantastic Universes. Now, over at their website, you can find reviews for all of the DC Universe TV shows from The Flash through to Preacher. They've got their own podcasts. They have reviews of comic books. They have articles on Dungeons and Dragons. Anything you need to survive as a nerd, you can find it at FantasticUniverses.com. I would just like to say how happy I am to be part of the Fantastic Universes family and to all the guys and gals over at the Fantastic Universes. Thank you so much for making us a part of your family. We really do look forward to what the future holds. That is enough from me. Please welcome to the show, Jerry Conway. So let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? Well, I'm from New York, uh, from New York City, uh, part of it called uh, Brooklyn. And I uh, grew up uh, in Brooklyn for the first 10 years of my life and then moved to Queens. Uh, so I'm basically a Long Island boy. Okay. So I'm finding a bit of a, a, a theme at the moment. There seem to be a few of the, the guys, uh, especially the comic book guys who I'm speaking to, who are, who are Brooklyn boys. <laughs> it seems, well, to, uh, seems to be a club. Uh, I guess it sort of depends upon what era we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I guess in, in New York City, uh, a lot of creative people come out of Brooklyn. It was a kind of a rough and tumble, but but uh, like a midway between suburban and, and urban uh, kind of kind of society. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, it, it, it had its uh, uh, it was a bit of a, a, a breeding ground for uh, for interesting people, I suppose. 
because I spoke to um, Jeremy D. Mateus. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's a Brooklyn guy. I've got Paul Levitt's lined up. I'm going to be talking to him as well. He's a Brooklyn guy. And like yep. you said, it does seem to be that kind of era. Is, um, is there, there seems to be a certain flavour that came out of Brooklyn at that time that seems to uh, seem to led its way towards the, uh, the, the writing field in comic books. Yeah, it's, a little, it's, it's kind of strange. But I mean, by the time I actually got into writing comics, I was from Queens. But, yeah, I, I initially, uh, you know, grew up uh, uh, during my formative years and first started reading comics uh, when I was in Brooklyn. So is there a distinctive difference between Brooklyn and Queens? Now, obviously, I'm on the, I'm on the other side <laughs> of the world. That, yeah, that sounded I mean, like... <laughs> And no, yeah. no, there actually is. I mean, the the five boroughs of Manhattan uh, are cities in their own right. I mean, in any other uh, uh, place in the in the in the in the world, they'd probably be full grown cities. Uh, Brooklyn has a has a fairly urban quality to it, but it's not uh, as urban as Manhattan. Uh, Manhattan is more. Uh, or at least back in the 60s, I would say, was, you know, more of an upper-middle-class environment. Brooklyn was sort of middle-class. Queens was very blue-collar, but with aspects of upper-class sort of in the uh, uh, northern part of it. Uh, The Bronx was uh, very, like, like both lower-middle-class and middle-class immigrant much more immigrant based. Uh, so if you, if you think of, and Staten Island was totally blue collar. So if you, if you think of, uh, generations of, of, of people, you, your, your early immigrant groups, your first generation or your, your, uh, your actual immigrants would, would have ended up say in, uh, uh, either very low man, lower Manhattan or in the Bronx, then the first generation, uh, their kids would have ended up in Brooklyn. Uh, their kids would have ended up in Queens or in Long Island. Uh, and uh, you would have aspired, or everybody would have aspired to living in Manhattan, which was known to anybody outside of Manhattan as the city. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how it works. You know, there, the, the, it, Manhattan was for many, I mean, I, I don't know how it is now because I haven't lived in New York for 40 years, but um, given the, the, the gross disparity in wealth, uh, uh, I think Manhattan has gone from being aspirational to being uh, like uh, the Emerald City <laughs> you know, in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no longer aspirational, just sort of like this surreal other place, you know, otherworldly place that uh, no one can actually approach. Some crazy costume man standing at the door looking through the, yeah. Yeah. Through yeah, the really, slot. Really. <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, it's pretty bizarre. I mean... When I, I lived in Manhattan in the 70s, and uh, like I say, it was an aspirational thing to go live there. And you could live there on a middle-class salary and have a nice place, a fairly big place. Uh, today, I mean, the, the house, that the, the apartment that I rented for middle-class um, rent in the 1970s would today cost $12 million to buy. And I'm not... I'm not joking. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, though, when uh, the the space of time, like 40 years before you were there, yeah, the, yeah. 
the price of that property probably wouldn't have increased by that much. But the 40 years no. since you've been there, the spike yeah. in it, it's like everything at the moment. You've got your, your haves oh, yeah. and your have-nots, really, haven't you? And that's a really well, the, good the example grotesque, of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the grotesque uh, inequality that, that, that developed as a result of the Reagan revolution. Uh, you know, people are always saying, gee, you know, it's really terrible how since 1980... Uh, middle class incomes have 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 cratered, and the one percent is uh, ending up owning like ninety percent of the property in the country. How did that happen? Well, let's think. What happened in nineteen eighty? <laughs> what yeah. what what changed in American history in nineteen eighty? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I mean, we we could like grope around trying to figure out what that change is, or we could just like look at the news. You know. <laughs> It's pretty obvious. Yeah, I mean, having your, your, I mean, we can now refer to him as your first actor president. Um, <laughs> you know, and and you, so far, only good actor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can call him a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Certainly, you know, yeah. he, um, he, uh, he definitely know how to do, knew how to do the, uh, the cowboy. He could deliver a coherent him. sentence, that's for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he didn't have to go back to the bigly well every now and no, again, did he, no. as, as far as that goes? Yeah, no. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, I mean, it must be a troubling time for you guys over there. It's, I mean, it's yeah. instructive to remember that six out of the last seven uh, Republican uh, presidential wins, uh, election wins, were uh, the, the, the Republican president lost the popular vote. I mean, Trump lost the popular vote. George Bush lost the popular vote uh, for one of his wins, and uh, I, I'm going to get myself in trouble if I if I go back <laughs> further than that because I'm not I'm not sure. But they didn't yeah. win. You know, that's just it. I yeah. mean, the last seven. I think it's the last seven Republican candidates. That's what it is. Uh, lost the popular vote, uh, yeah. except uh, six, six times out of seven. Also, you don't you don't want to get it wrong in this day and age either. Otherwise, tomorrow's headline will be uh, Jerry Conway vilifies winning president. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have that one. I'm pretty sure I've already. Got, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm already well known for vilifying the current president. <laughs> anyway, we, we we should be talking about comic books. Uh, not... <laughs> we we should. Um, now, your very first appearance in comic books. Now that you you brought us back to it, was a letter that you wrote in Fantastic Four number fifty. Yes. Yeah. So you're you're you were already like a big comic fan before you even you even hit it. Now you said that you were reading comic books when you were in Queens. What were the books that you were reading before you got into uh, the actual field of writing itself? Oh, I I, I started. I mean, I, I started reading comics. I guess in the fifties uh, with uh, you know Superman. I mean, there weren't many superhero comic books around, so. I think I read Superman during the fifties, uh, justice league. When that came out, flash, um, uh, Walt Disney comics and stories. I used to read that fairly regularly. A lot of the gold key, uh, books are actually the Dell books at the time. Um, and then when Marvel, uh, started publishing superhero comics, uh, I think I got started reading Marvel's books with uh, fantastic four, number four, uh, and from that, oh, wow. yeah, so I was hooked pretty early in the Marvel, uh, the Marvel age. I mean, almost within the first year, I mean, within the first year of the Marvel age. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Marvel, Marvel definitely launched with kind of like a, a different flavour to to DC, didn't they? I oh mean, yeah. Especially for someone like like you, so New York based and so so centric to the world that you you were growing up in. Sure, it felt like it, and and the stories were almost immediately much more interesting. You know, I mean, I, you can look back at them now. You can look back at old comics today and read them, and they seem fairly uh, simplistic and and uh, uh, not very not very sophisticated at all. But at the time, they were they were revolutionary. Uh, that that first issue that I read, uh, Fantastic Four number four, featured uh, uh, the Submariner and. It, the story starts off with an argument between two members of the Fantastic Four. Johnny Storm leaves, you know, and goes off on his own. Uh, ben Grimm is is all upset, you know, and 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 uh, 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 angrily, you know, like punching tables and things. Uh, and and Johnny, you know, in a huff, you know, is is out wandering around when he encounters the Submariner, who immediately has this. Uh, re- re- this reveal where uh, he discovers that his 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 family and his his people have all been dispersed, you know, because of uh, you know activities by the by the earth uh, by the uh, land people, and you know his he's got an emotional problem, and the whole I mean it was just mind boggling because prior to that your stories were stories about how Superman was going to. Uh, uh, you know, rescue a, rescue a, uh, 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 an orphanage, you know, from, from going bankrupt, you know, <laughs> or the, or the flash was going to run so fast that, uh, he, he was going to, you know, go back in time and, uh, get lost. I mean, those were not necessarily bad stories, but they weren't emotional stories. You know, I mean, they weren't stories where the characters involved had any emotional investment. Uh, yeah. And to a to a nine year old, uh, which is I think what, what I was when those those stories came out, this was like uh, the door opening to to something much more rich and uh, and uh, interesting. Um, you know, I was I I'd been a reader for you know six or seven years at that point. I started reading very early, and even the the young adult novels that I was reading had more of an emotional component. Than the average comic book, uh, so encountering that in uh, Fantastic Four was just revelatory. Well, I mean, one of the things which I really loved about the the dynamic, and it was something which, um, for me, going back and reading, it surprised me as well. Was um, more so than DC is that Marvel seemed to be establishing uh, consequences and uh, things to the actions of the right. of the characters. There would be continuity was is probably the word I'm, yeah. I'm looking for. Like yeah. if something happened in that story with Namor, well, when Namor came back, that would be referenced. And you had this fantastic, uh, if it wasn't for Sue's feelings towards Reed being the way they were, almost a love triangle between uh-huh. between the three of them. Yeah. Um, and it it all had impact. It it all mattered, and the entire it wasn't just the world. Like the DC world, people would interact with each other. Uh, the characters would, but in Marvel, the storylines would interact yes. with each other. Yeah, if you, you know, moved something was, over here, it would affect something over there. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, in some cases, it wasn't very, very uh, uh, consequential, but at least it, it had the sense that that uh, this was happening in, in real time and. Uh, it was important to keep up. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it, it, it was something I think that, I mean, I don't know that Stan ever used this phrase, but uh, uh, it's something that we came to recognize uh, when we were writing for the company later, is was the illusion of change. Uh, it, it, it's something that Stan promised in his work. And if you look at the, the course of the story of, of Fantastic Four, of course, it did end up, uh, having actual change. Reed and Sue did get married. Uh, Peter Parker did graduate from high school. Uh, you know, the uh, daredevil, uh, 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 foggy Nelson became a DA. I mean, it, it, all of it kind of, you know, did, did have actual impact on, uh, the course of the stories where at DC it's, it, it was like they erased the slate after every issue. You know, I mean, there yeah. be there would be some yes. context, you know, like when Sinestro would would show up again in Green Lantern to battle Green Lantern, there would be a footnote that oh, you know, he was he, he escaped from the Quark universe, uh, you know, in in issue number eight, you know, and we last saw him over here, and there would be some little bit of lip service to the connection, but nothing had really changed. You know, uh, if you hadn't read that previous issue, you wouldn't really miss anything. Uh, yeah, I used, to, I used to love that in comic books where you'd have the little asterisks and the little box <laughs> and it'll say, you know, go back and read issue 182 if you want to find out how, yeah. you know, Submariner came back to the, the surface world right, or something. Right. Something that they... Because that was one of the things for me that, that made comics a... Um, just more than a hobby. They became something where um, there was... At some points, I'll admit it, there was a desperation mm-hmm. where um, there was almost like a, a completionist kind of sure. thing going on, where if that little mention was made and I didn't have that issue, well, then I had to go find it. And of course, it was the days <laughs> before the internet, the days before online, and I would have to pound the pavement, all of the secondhand bookstores, all of the comic shops everywhere, looking for the for the one which had that footnote. Right. But then there was that sense of accomplishment when you actually found it. And you got to read that story, and the blank was filled. You know. Well, that was something which, uh, for, unfortunately, we could really only have seen happen for the first ten or fifteen years of Marvel's existence, because after that, <laughs> you know, you start having so many multiple stories that you'd have to reference. I mean, now we have almost <laughs> fifty years worth of of footnotes, which is why they basically. Stop putting footnotes in. How would you? What would you refer to? How would you even refer to it? You know. Uh, yeah, and in in some cases, which universe? Yeah. Do you re- yeah. refer to? You know, the that's one of the things which I do love about about going back to to comics. I mean, you're looking at pre-crisis and post-crisis. Um, yeah. Even even post-crisis, um, we didn't get the constant reboots. We didn't get the constant. Got to go back to issue one. Got to go back to issue one. I think I, I worked out that from 19, uh, 1960s through to the 2000s, uh, Captain America was one full run. Yeah. Then after that, uh, in the space of 10 years, we got six issue ones. Yeah, which is just... You know? It's just silly. I mean, they're, what they're doing there is they're letting marketing uh, drive editorial 
choices. And that's, that is the death knell for creativity. Um, at yep. both companies, the, 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 you know, the, they, they, they haven't just put the horse before the cart. Uh, I mean, the cart before the horse, uh, they've, they basically abandoned the horse <laughs> and, and they're pushing the cart along, uh, by hand because it, it's not being yeah. driven by any real creative impulse on the part of, uh, individual creators. Uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in other context, but I think the idea of the writer's room, you know, uh, is, is a disaster for, uh, for these companies, uh, and for the creativity of these books, because none of the, none of the material that originated, uh, the, the two major universes that, that we're talking about at the two superhero, uh, comic book publishers uh, was a result of a writer's room. Uh, it was all the result of individual creators coming up with an idea and selling an individual editor who would then sell the publisher on the idea. And that's how these stories were, uh, were initiated. In some cases, it, it, you know, you cut out the middleman, Stan was both editor and writer, so he could promote the idea directly to the publisher. But even there, you know, it was a small time operation. It was like 10 people, uh, 10 people involved in the entire project. Nowadays yeah. you get these rooms full of writers and instead of coming up with a single elegant idea that speaks to somebody's idiosyncratic creative voice, you get these overly, uh, massaged storylines that, are designed to uh, answer questions that nobody's asking first. <laughs> Second, you know, <laughs> are are simply promotional tools uh, to to drive uh, sales. And under the best of circumstances, you know, they're going to be they're going to be mildly interesting, uh, and. You know, maybe like in the case of Spider Verse, you know, the they'll actually produce something of worth, uh, but they're not. The vast majority of them are simply uh, pointless, you know, because you're gonna because the reader knows that a year from now or less, all of this is going to get blown up again by the next event, you know, and yeah. so yeah. why read it? I mean, why why why? Yeah invest your time and energy in, in these books. And if you, speaking as a creator, uh, I was working on, on one book for one of the companies and this was recently in the last, uh, half dozen years. And I had a storyline that I was developing over what would probably have been about 12 issues, let's say. And about issue number seven or eight, I was told, Oh, by the way, we have to take two issues to fit into this uh, uh, other storyline that that's going to be a big crossover over eight books. And I'm like, but I have this storyline that needs to be built towards a certain conclusion from an, from, and it's driving emotionally, you know, this is happening in a certain sequence of events. You're asking me now to put that off for two months and take a total detour from the emotional drive of this story you're going to lose the readership that I've built up. You're not going to gain anything because this is a bullshit 
crossover that's not going to have any, you know, <laughs> lasting effect. And yeah, yeah. And you've totally thrown off my uh, my pace. And and it, that was just one book, and that happens constantly across their entire lines. Every, every time a, a writer, I mean, it's it's rare that a, that a writer gets the opportunity or a creative team gets the opportunity to run a single storyline for, you know, a couple of years. Tom King has done a wonderful job on Batman primarily because they left him the fuck alone. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, but they're also, they, because I agree with you 100%. This is, um, I mean, I always have this, this personal wrestle. I, um, I have a problem with the fact that Batman is, has over the, well, basically since the Tim Burton film, been elevated to the number one character in DC Comics. My personal view is it doesn't matter what else is going on in the real world, it should always revolve around Superman. I am a Superman mark like you wouldn't believe. It's like whenever there's the argument, who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman? Every single time I'm just like, Superman. Superman would win. The only way Batman would be able to win is if Superman didn't know he was coming. Yeah. Uh, well, you know? I mean, there is, there are good, I mean, there are, there are marketing reasons. I mean, every company has to deal with the fact of how things sell, but the fact that they spent as much intellectual effort on Batman meant that they were not spending that same intellectual effort on Superman with the exception yeah. of the death yeah. of Superman story arc, uh, which, you know, did, I think do a lot to reinvest that character in some uh, uh, some strong storylines, but it's still it, it's it's as you say. I mean, they've oriented themselves towards Batman, and it's a chicken and the egg kind of situation. Or is that because Batman is a much more relatable character that more uh, kids are reading and want to read about, or is it the fact that they're giving more attention to Batman because of the Batman movie that, uh, uh, made his sales jump? Is yeah. that why readers are more invested in the character? It's really hard to say which came first, you know? It, well, it's, it's like you were saying though, with a, a guy like, like Tom King, you were just saying the reason it's worked is because they've left him alone. And Batman, at the moment, is quite possibly one of the best comics yeah, out yeah. there. It is just, it is, it is amazing. And it's not, uh, there's nothing. He hasn't changed the character himself. He's still Batman. He's just made the universe and the people around him more interesting mm -hmm. by creating this fantastic universe. But they don't seem to have looked at what Tom King has done and gone. Maybe if we do leave these guys alone <laughs> and we yeah. do let them do it, this is this is the yeah. outcome. This is what this is what's this is what's gonna be happening. You almost need to get a mini series at the moment to be able to do that by the same Well, it seems like they they're trying to do that with Brian Bendis on Superman. So I'm I'm hopeful to that to the extent that they let Brian set uh, set the set the, the, the standard on Superman and just let him work on it, you know, just let him build on yep. it. Uh, but you know, you look at what they did after the, with the new 52 where they, where they just shifted back and forth and back and forth 
this is that, that's this, and then rebirth, and then this, and then that. I mean, Superman has been all over the goddamn place since uh, Crisis. And the only consistent period that he had was maybe the John Byrne years. Uh, and even that was because it was such a radical departure from the traditional Superman. It's kind of hard to say that that was, you know, an effective use of the characters. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I have all my theories about these things, but I'm not a practical publisher. So, But you're also one of the guys who's going to know the, the industry better than most as well so i think your opinion does actually it does have weight i know you're sitting there going oh, i don't know i think you do well, I, 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 to be <laughs> fair be yeah but to be fair you know most uh, most of what i know about the business uh is based in in what worked in the late 60s through the 70s and i i pretty much left the business around the time that the direct sale market became dominant uh and the direct sale market has had a, a tremendous distorting effect on uh, the creativity of uh, the books and the way that the publishers uh, approach uh, uh, marketing and, and sales. And, uh, uh, and all of that is something that's very alien to me. Uh, you know, I was, I was part of the generation that wrote and, and drew comics for a mass market. Uh, you know, we, we, we canceled books that sold uh, four times as well as the best-selling book that's out today. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, you know yeah. that's just, we, we did, I mean, the idea of a book selling 15,000 copies would have been just ridiculous to us. Uh, you know, the worst-selling Marvel book, uh, uh, you know, back when I was uh, writing for Marvel, uh, in the seventies would have been selling about 180,000 copies. Uh. Well, it's, it's, it's got to do with the fact, I mean, I, I, the, the most dramatic shift, well, the two most dramatic shifts, like over here, if I want to go and pick up a copy of Superman, I'm looking at seven to $8 per right, right. When I was a kid, I've still got like, I've got, um, I've got a copy of your, uh, what is it? Let's see what, what I've got here. Justice League of America, number 239. One of my first books that I picked up, um, of yours, I'm still one of my favourite books as well. The the cover price on that is ninety five cents Canadian, seventy five cents American. Now, as a kid, right, I could buy four or five comics. The other thing, as well yep. as price, was the accessibility. I could go to my local corner store. I could go to uh, the gas station. I could go to the news agency, yep. and yep. I could pick up all yep. of my books just by walking around the corner. Flash forward 10, yep. 15 years later, and that's completely shifted. There is 50% yep. of the comics I can, I can only get from a comic shop, and the nearest comic shop for us is, is in the city. You know, we don't have one just, to, yep. just around the corner. So I think that that's two things which, which drastically have affected it. Oh, it's, yeah, it's completely, it's, it's completely distorted the market away from uh, a, a mass market to a niche market. Uh, and the niche market has further distorted things because it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, how can I put this? Uh, it's a market that both values novelty and at the same time is extremely conservative. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it wants the new but doesn't want change. Yeah. 
Oh, oh we, we <laughs> see that on Twitter every single day when it comes to comic books. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really horrible, but, but it, it's hard to... I, I, I can't imagine... I mean, another way to look at this is when these comic books characters are adapted to film and television, they very rarely go to uh, storylines that uh, were popular only in the direct sale market. You know, there, there are a lot of the stories that, that we see adapted, uh, or at least the approach to the characters, is the approach from the 70s versions of the characters. Uh, even Batman, I mean, they're not doing the modern Batman. They're doing the Batman... Uh, at the, at the latest, you know, the Batman of 1984, uh, you know, the Frank Miller, uh, Batman, uh, and you know, that's 35 years ago, <laughs> that's 35 years ago. And, you know, they're not doing the, you know, the current Batman, they're not, and I'm not saying that that's, that's good or bad. I'm just saying, you know, you, 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 what's the point of, of, Adapting something that that uh, you know is only appealed to fifteen thousand people or twenty thousand yeah, people. Yeah, I'd never thought of it from that point of view before, but you're right. As, so, one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. people know this story. Fifteen thousand people know this story. Which one's going to get you the most traction? Well, it's it's also from a proving point of view of what uh, which has the has the chance of being more popular. Just just on the idea that. Uh, 15,000 people is a group of people who have self-selected themselves and are interested in comic books and superheroes. Those people are a very specific demographic, right? They're a small demographic of self-selected fans. That's great. And, and I'm, not dis, I'm not dissing them at all. The 150,000 people are casual readers. They are people who are attracted to the story uh, on a casual basis. And that's much more typical of an audience that would go to a movie or watch a TV show. So from a, from a test audience point of view, uh, in terms of which, which audience is going to give you a truer sense of what might have mass appeal, the audience that was, was appealed to for 150 or 200,000 uh, uh, circulation is a more uh, reliable predictor of something that might have mass appeal than something that was really, really popular with 15,000 people. The entire Marvel Universe on film has been centred around a story that came out in 1990 with the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the the mass appeal of that is, you know, um, as far as the movies goes, people refer to themselves as Marvel fans now because they go and see the Avengers. Yeah. Well, my daughter, I, I use this example all the time. My daughter uh, is a big Marvel fan. She's 23 years old, and she's never read a superhero book. <laughs> but, she's but she's a big Marvel fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, 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 I take it back. She, was, she did read one superhero book, uh, which was assigned to her in her graphic novels class in high school, uh, and that was uh, X-Men, The Days of Future Past, oh. and she loved it. Uh, but again, that was a 1980s story that was designed for a large audience. So it's self-contained. It's it's very clear. Uh, it doesn't require that you have a sense of uh, 
you know, all the all the niche history of the characters. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a it's a simple story when you come right down to it. Which is why I made a very effective movie. And that is where we leave the first part of our chat with Joe and Conway. Now, if you like the episode, head over to iTunes or Spotify. You'll be able to find all of our older episodes there. You can subscribe to the show. And if you like what you hear, please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help the show. Now, I'd like to let you know where you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at RetroProjectPod. You can find us on Facebook at RetroProjectPod. And you can send us an email to theretroprojectpod at gmail.com. If you have any feedback or any suggestions, please feel free to drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. We are also very proud to be a part of the Fantastic Universes family. Now, you can find all of our new episodes, plus an amazing amount of content such as reviews, podcasts, and articles over at fantasticuniverses.com. So until next time, thank you for listening, and this has been the Retro Project Podcast.